Wow, I'm all prayed up now. This is good. <laughs> How many of you have a pet? Raise your hand. Dogs, keep your hands up. Cats, put your hands down. <laughs> okay, yeah. So if you have a pet, how many of you have children? I'm going to draw some analogies between cats, dogs, and children, okay? It's going to be kind of fun. So, yeah, we've had a series of dogs. <laughs> it must be bad dog parents because we've, we've had several, right? We had one, uh, we named it Puppy, and it never left that puppy stage. So, that dog is in a better place today. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, they get old. Anyhow, we had another dog, and this dog was amazing. Her name was Heifer, and, because she looked like a cow, right? It's the cutest thing ever. And uh, this dog, I mean, God would, like, speak to me through the dog. I mean, the dog didn't talk, but this dog just followed us everywhere. All the dog ever wanted to do was be with us. It so spoke to my heart, right? And actually, there's a Hebrew word uh, that refers to worship, and it's a picture of a dog licking the master's hand. And, you know, I'd look at that dog, and i think, I just want to be like my dog. But I had a friend who had another kind of a dog. The dog knew exactly what his master wanted him to do. And this dog, he'd grab his socks, his shoes, he'd chew on them, you know, the owner would like, you know, yell at the dog, right? And the dog would crouch down. I can't even imitate it. But it wouldn't walk on its paws. It would get down on this part of its legs, you know, and it would go in reverse. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. This dog was defiant. Defiant. Everybody say defiant. defiant. Yeah, it's a terrible word. But it's a real word. And it's a real experience. Now, those of you who have children... We've kind of experienced that as well, right? So one day my wife and I were out shopping. We were at, was it Walmart or someplace? Oh, Costco, oh, the other one, Pay, Sam's. Doesn't matter. My wife, you know how mom's grandmas are, right? She saw these dresses and they had ruffles, layers of ruffles and all a million shades of pink and all these pretty colors, right? And we have twin granddaughters and they were just about that big. And she goes, and they were really expensive. She goes, we have to buy these, you know. So we bought them, put them on the girls, and they're in the backyard, and they're running down the hill. And I'm just like, Grandpa, I'm like, this is just so beautiful. Thy will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. They're gorgeous. They love us. And they're running, and the ruffles are, you know, flailing around their arms, you know. It's like in slow-mo as I'm viewing it. Same child. Another day, Mimi is saying, Sarah, Sarah, no, Sarah, don't do that. Sarah, Sarah, are you listening to me? Sarah said, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> the little squirt's this big, and she's saying, not yet. Have you ever said not yet to God? Think about it. It's a scary thing. It's a very scary thing. We are looking today, and we're starting a new series, and it's the book of Jonah, which is a great, great story. It's a great book. But have you ever known exactly what God wants and decided to do something else? Yeah. 
I was just talking to Phil. I mean, he shared his story with me. Now I'm blabbing it to everybody, right? Uh, <laughs> there was a time when he knew what God wanted and it didn't quite fit. And his story is everybody's story. So this morning, I trust we can find ourselves in this. Jonah was defiant. He, he, he was at odds with God. And we're going to find out why today as we, as we dig a little deeper into this. The tension is heart-wrenching. And it threatens life to be in this kind of situation. And yet that struggle is very real. It's one that we find ourselves involved in. His story is really our story. But is Jonah just kind of a Jewish parable? Is it an allegory? Could a fish really swallow a man? I don't know. What do you guys think? Have you ever wondered about that? Well, let's take a look at something that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in Screwtape Letters. There are three characters. There's Screwtape, who is the senior demon, right? And he is instructing Wormwood, who is a tempter in training, all right? And then there is the patient, as he's referred to, who is a British man. And this is what Screwtape writes. My dear Wormwood, uh, I note what you say about guiding your patient's reading and taking care that he sees a good deal of his materialistic friend. Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside of his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn, a contemporary, conventional, or even ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally. And you know, the enemy comes in that kind of a way. Could it really be? Could it really have happened? Did God actually say? And so when we, when we know that there's a plan that God has for our lives, is that really his plan? Right? I mean, we all face this. Uh, but is it an allegory? Song of Solomon is an allegory that tells a beautiful story because obviously her neck is not an ivory tower. Her eyes are not fish pools and her nose is not like the Tower of Lebanon. It's an allegory. But this particular story, she'd be one strange looking woman, right? <laughs> but this story is not fictitious. It's not just a cute little story for children's coloring books. There was a real big fish. There was a plant that grew up that withered because a worm ate it very quickly. All right? And Nineveh did repent. And Jesus, this is what I love, Jesus spoke about Nineveh as though it was, and it was, a historic event that happened in history. He pointed back to it, and he pointed forward to it, being himself like Jonah, who would be three days in a tomb. And Jonah, of course, was in a fish. So I thought, you know what? We we're Americans. We believe in science. So I, I started doing some research. It is scientifically possible for a man to live inside of a large fish for three days. And there are actually two accounts that I found in, in the, in, in the, um, on the internet of men who actually went through those kinds of experiences. One, the man was alive. They found him inside of a, a very large uh, whale. And um, 
uh, the, they've caught the whale. It had been harpooned, so the whale died, and the man lived. So you'd have to check those out, you know, for, for yourself. This book is not about Jonah and the whale. It's more about Jonah and his contention, which we can identify with that he has with God Almighty. Uh, let's have a, um, so let's just go on here. At this point, Jonah and the whale is not about the whale. And by the way, it wasn't even a whale because in uh, the Hebrew language in which this was written, they had a separate word for whale than they have for fish. Do you have a slide? Could you show that slide of the fish? I don't know how accurate this is, but there it is. Look at that. This is proof there was a fish. Okay. <laughs> We've got real evidence. Okay. <laughs> the big idea today is simply this. Defiance gets us nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. As a matter of fact, in the perfect will of God, you end up fish barf on the shoreline where you should have been in the first place. So God has a way of telling us a story here, a historical fact that is wonderful. So uh, what does being defiant actually look like? It starts out with this. Number one, I am God's servant, and I know what God wants. So in Jonah chapter 1 and in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right? He knew what God wanted. He wanted to, him to go this direction, but Jonah chose to go in the opposite direction, very far away from God's purpose. And I thought about this. How many of us have a very good idea about what God wants for our lives, and it could be the smallest area, and yet we haven't acted in obedience on that? I mean, it could be anything. It could be exercise, right? I see heads nodding. It could be your food. All right, stop nodding your heads. Uh, it could be so many number of things. And yet we have these moments where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, someday I'll get there, right? Eventually that will happen. And so God wants us to be just very real and very open today, not feeling condemnation in any way, shape, or form, or you'll turn me off right now and you won't even hear the rest of what, what God wants to speak to us. But the word came, and when God's word comes in our lives, and let me just say this, it comes with authority, and God has never created people without a capacity to hear his voice. There's nobody here today that can tell me that you don't hear God. You can tell me that you're not listening. But he built in within you a conscience. I mean, even a dog knows when he's doing wrong, right? So we have that same capability in a very wonderful, wonderful way that God has given to us. And when God speaks his word, it comes with authority to act upon that word. And so you and I have the power, we have the calling, and we have the purpose in life to do all of God's bidding, his entire will. And even though we fail in that from time to time, 
The story of Jonah shows us the incredible compassion and love and mercy of God that he has for every one of us. He's called us to be active in the will that he has for every single one of our lives. But Jonah defies God. He absolutely defies God. Now, you got to think about this. Uh, if you're honest today, you've wrestled with God over some issues. Is that right? Raise your hand if that's true. All right, good. We've wrestled with him. Who else has wrestled with God, right? Oh, we know that uh, Jacob wrestled with God. Moses was like, God, God, no, no. I, I can't do what you want. He questioned God on it, right? Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, it's like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't speak. I'm just a child, right? And Elijah, Elijah was like, you know what? I, I, I don't think I can do this. I am really afraid of, uh, you know, what's going to happen if I follow what you have for my life. The word of the Lord in this situation is the word of Yahweh. Oh, one of those usernames of God Almighty. Yahweh. Think about this for just a minute. When God speaks to you, no matter what it is, oh man, I dare you. I dare you to take a small step of obedience. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, you take that step in the direction that God has for you, and heaven opens. I'll never forget one day I was sitting at my desk, and the Lord said, I want you to get up and walk around the classroom. I was teaching arts at Marine City High School. And I'd been working. I'm, God, I'm working on a beautiful example for these students. And it was like, it was three days. I, I just kept feeling that. And it was three days. The drawing was getting better and better and better. It was amazing. And then I just thought, I've been denying God. I've been defying the God who is omniscient, omniscient, omnipotent. Is that it? I'm the present and all-powerful. <laughs> I was denying him. So I stood up, and I started walking around the room and interacting with every kid. And I'll tell you, it felt like the ceiling, all the acoustical tile just rolled back. Boom, 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 it all rolled back. And the beam of light came in, and I was like, oh, I'm in the center of God's will. This is amazing. And I looked at my drawing, and it was like, yeah, it's okay, but this other stuff is so good in the center of God's will. And that's why I, I want to challenge you to obedience. I just spit all over the platform. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Yahweh, how dare we toil with thinking we might have a better idea than God about anything, anything. His word comes with his authority. Well, Jonah was a great prophet, and we read this story, but, you know, we sometimes forget that he's also in 2 Kings chapter 14 at a time when Jeroboam was king, and uh, God spoke through this prophet, and he said, I'm going to restore the borders of Israel <coughs> from Lebo Hamath uh, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke <coughs> by his servant Jonah. To paraphrase, God says this, even though Israel, my people, have been sinners, and you're living in sin right now at this time, I am going to expand your borders. What? I thought if you did something wrong, you know, you get crushed, right? <coughs> but what's happening 
is that Israel is living in a time of prosperity, and they're ignoring God. They're ignoring God. But he says, you know what? I'm going to expand your borders anyhow. What would you do? We're living in the lap of luxury, you know. Uh, nobody here today is going to get one of those bags that gets filled. And so as long as we continue in our little disobediences, we can think it's okay because nothing terrible is happening, right? We're not getting struck with lightning and overthrown or anything like that. And that is exactly the mindset of the people in that day. Oh, thank you, Gary. Do you guys know Gary? He's amazing. Give him a hand. <laughs> we just, we got to celebrate Jesus like all the time. And every time we see him in anybody, it's amazing. So, Jonah. Jonah, what a guy. And uh, so that prophecy came. You know, I was thinking about the prodigal son. His father, this is scary gave him so much money, and he let him go. You know, if you want to do something wrong, you can do it. Actually, Jonah ended up paying his own fare to Tarshish, right? He'll just, God the Father loves you so much that he'll let you go and waste it all. And then he'll wait patiently for you to return. This is God's way. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, uh, Or do you presume that the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, uh, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is what God wants for every one of our lives. He wants us to be drawn to him. And, you know, repentance is, I know you got saved, right? Okay? Like, okay, I'm a sinner. I accept Jesus. But, you know, repentance is really a way of life because there's the fullness of God. It's not just get out of hell free. It's like live in the center of his will and really, really enjoy having an incredibly good time in the presence of God always. Jonah knows that God is gracious. He knows he's merciful. He knows he's, he's loving. But he also knows that he's very jealous, just, and righteous. And Jonah knew that God had been sending prophets to Israel for 150 years, you know, trying to get them to turn away from their own ways. And this all ties in to, and God let them go so that they would come to the end of themselves and come back. So in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, to, God says to Jonah, very simply, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. You must know that Nineveh is a part of the Assyrian Empire. Get up, go to Nineveh, and preach repentance. So why is Jonah so bothered by all this? Why does he not want to go, right? It's interesting. He, he could have looked at history and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's never been a prophet that was called to any place but Israel. Elijah and Elisha preached to the Israelites. Uh, Amos and Hosea, they both preached to the Israelites. And now, God, you're calling me to preach to the Assyrians at Nineveh? They're wicked, horrible people. Oh, God, by the way, I know that when there is a wicked, horrible city, like is recorded in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 20, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, 
that you are you're going to you rain down judgment on those people. Why would you want me to go preach to them? So this book shows the evangelistic and the, the global perspective of our God to draw all people to himself. Get up and go to Nineveh. Preach. The word of the Lord kept coming to him. Preach repentance. Repentance. And Jonah knows that if he preaches repentance to these people, they might repent. But Jonah did not want them to repent. He wanted them to be destroyed. He was not interested in seeing God do a good thing. So why did God want, uh, why did Jonah rather want God's judgment? Because the Assyrians were a cruel people. They were a world power, and when they conquered people, they did heinous crimes against them. They would skin them while they're still alive and hang their skins on the city wall. They would cut their noses off, their ears off. And God has always called us, as strange as it seems, to love our enemies. God loved mercy. And if these people would turn, he would have mercy upon them. Jonah was afraid of that because he saw them as a world power. He saw them as a world power that would threaten his own people. And God wanted Jonah to have forgiveness for them as God did. How about us? How about our lives? Has there ever been or is there somebody in your life that you'd rather not forgive? Is there vengeance? You'd like to see them get there, get what they get what they deserve, you know. Well, God says if that's in our hearts, we won't be forgiven because we haven't forgiven others, right? And so the story moves forward. This is another challenge for us personally. Defiance starts with being God's servant, knowing what God wants. So Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up and flee, uh, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship, time for a cruise, to go to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of God. So the interesting thing is that Nineveh, Going to Nineveh was only about a three-month travel, and it was pretty close. It was, only, well, closer than Tarshish. It was 550 miles to get to Nineveh, but Tarshish was 2,500 miles away, and it would take him a year to get there, right? So he chooses something in the absolute opposite direction. Do you think he ever had second thoughts? Have you ever wondered if God's call on you was really what you thought you were hearing. You scratch your head with second thoughts. Should I do this or should I do this? It seems like he would have had second thoughts, but he gets to Tarshish and the ship is waiting and he's got the money and there's room for one more guy. They had a ticket left, right? And you know, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know, they greet you and they smile. It's a wonderful experience. They offer you some little treat, you know, chocolates or cookies or whatever, you know, a drink, right? And you think it's all free, and then later you find out they charged you for it. Well, this was like all free for, for Jonah. He is on his way. He's on his way. The realization 
uh, of God's will uh, will come to him very shortly. He figured it must be God's confirmation. It's okay. The ship, there's room. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, in our lives, what do, we, what do we do that is similar to this? Have a relationship with somebody that's not right? Oh, but it must be good because I feel such love in this, right? Or investing in something that isn't really going to move you forward in building God's kingdom? Or behave in such a way that you, you pay whatever cost it takes, whatever it takes to get the approval of other people. I'd have to venture to say that most of us in this room would raise our hands. Redefine who you are so that you are accepted. You know, compromising, right? The will of, the will of God. Thoughts of lust. Well, you know, can't help it. God made me this way, right? rationalizing in our own minds so that we can do what we want to do. Ambition, right? Ambition to be wealthy or ambition to have a name, ambition to be known, right? Those things get in the way. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Very clear. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, And then when the men, the men were exceedingly afraid, these are the sailors on the boat, they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. He told them. So the bad weather, the storm, everything that happens is because of his disobedience. Secondly, I know what God wants, but I will not do it. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, there's two sons. One says he'll do the father's will, and then he doesn't do it. One says, no, dad, I'm not going to do it, and then he does the father's will. You know, Jesus is pointing to the fact that acting like we're disobedient and having a change of heart is a very beautiful, very beautiful thing. Knowing God's will. I was at an art fair, and um, this skinny hipster kid was looking at one of my paintings, right? And it was a, a graffiti painting. And uh, it was all about, oh, he's standing there, and I'm looking at him, and I thought, I don't feel like talking to this guy. I was like, Jonah, I don't want to go to that end of the booth. I want to go to the other far end of the booth. <laughs> but he kept standing there. And uh, then he reached in his pocket, and I thought, oh, maybe he has money. <laughs> so... In my fallen state, I thought, well, I should probably talk to this guy. So I went over and I started talking to him. And I said, yeah, this is uh, this pain. He goes, what is this about? And it was like uh, a meaningful image of graffiti. And I said, this painting is all about you. I said, I don't know you, but I know that you do not want to live a worthless life. You want your life to count. And that is why people scrawl their names on the sides of buildings. That's why people invest in their family. They want to leave a, a spiritual legacy. And this guy said, you know, I don't even like your kind of art. <laughs> but I love this picture. And I think it was like uh, $275, right? And he says, I really want it. 
but I don't have enough money. And I said, sorry, loser, get out of my boot. No, I said, <laughs> I said, how much money do you have? And he said, I have $75. I said, it's yours. See, God wants us to invest in the lives of people. Jonah was not that interested in that moment, in that moment. I'm God's servant. I know what he wants, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's like God saying, I'm going to call you to Columbia. I want you to, you know, witness to drug lords, and I'll be your protection. And you're like, let's see. Oh, God said go south. Ah, Aruba. Sounds great. I have a beach ministry. <laughs> we kind of redefine what it is. We twist it. We rationalize. And we try to make ourselves feel okay, you know? But there comes a point where you can't feel okay unless you have rationalized so often that your conscience begins to be dull. And the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention. And pretty soon you don't even feel it. And so God is wanting to revive us and renew that inner sense of what is right before him. This is a huge problem, a huge problem in the church and in the life of Jonah as well. What if the people he preached to ended up repenting? Here's Jonah's problem. He knew that his people were sinners and that Nineveh was a global power that was spreading. Jonah would rather see those people die so that they couldn't conquer his people. So Jonah sided with his people, coddling them in their sin, right? And just hoping that maybe they'll repent because he knows that Nineveh is a global power and that God will eventually send that enemy global power to capture his people. And that is exactly what happened as history unfolds. I know what God wants, but I don't want to do it, and I have my reasons. We're a people today. If you look at Scripture and you fully understand that Jesus Christ lives in us, why are we not having a greater effect? It's just the season we're living in. Look, if God could hear the cry of Nineveh, if God could hear the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah, God can certainly hear the cry of his people calling out for repentance in our land, but it all begins in our own hearts. That's what's so beautiful about walking with God. Because judgment is coming. It's always coming. The Pharisees said there's never been a prophet from Galilee. They were wrong. John recorded that for us. And in Matthew it says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, check this out, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, right? And a greater than Jonah is here, speaking of Jesus Christ. 
And if you look at scripture, you can find in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about Chorazin and Bethsaida, and he compares them to Tyre and Sidon. And he says this, if the message that was preached to those cities, they would remain till today because they would have repented. And in another place in, in chapter 10, he brings it out again. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented if they heard the preaching that the people in that day heard in Jesus' day. Who is God going to compare us to? I have this sense that you and I have been set up. We've been set up by God. We have food. We have clothing. We have the preaching of the word. We have the Bible in English in numerous translations. We have a place to worship and gather today. And there's no excuse for continuing in a relationship with God with a hard heart. Now, if, if, we're, if our hearts get hard and we're hearing and we know what is right in not doing it, God is so gracious and merciful. The beautiful thing that I see in Scripture is that Jesus knew what he was called to do. Now, you might write him off. Oh, he's the son of God, but he's called the son of man. And if you look at what his early followers did, they lived passionately. They lived passionately. They had a God cause within them that was worth dying for. That's real living. Because everything we live for, unless it's of a spiritual nature and the perfect will of God, will come to nothing in the end. Guy wrote a book. It's titled, Everything Goes Back in the Box. Right? We already started boxing it up, and we're still a young 72, right? We've got granddaughter's names on boxes. It's going to be their It all goes in a box. And finally, they put you in a box. So we got to think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What am I doing? Right? Jesus never turned in the opposite direction. Paul did not turn in the opposite direction. The Father let Jesus know, go and preach. Oh, by the way, they're not going to like you. Some are going to love you. Oh, yeah, I forgot. They're going to kill you. Right. Oh, but the grave can't hold you. And you know, if that's Jesus' story, and if Jesus is living inside of us, isn't that our story? Can we do all things through Christ? Amen. There's nothing that can keep us from God's will, as long as we don't behave like Jonah. Know his will and then not do it. He knew that he was God's servant. Jesus did. And he knew what God wanted, and he did it. Obedience. Obedience is addictive. And it empowers us to be everything that God has called us to. You know, today in this place, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he, we sang it so beautifully that his blood paid the price? And he promised to come and live inside of us in a new and great way. And you know, the last thing I want today is for you to leave here and say, you know what? I am going to try harder. How many of you have ever tried harder? Did it work? Yeah, for a little while, right? And then you went right back to the refrigerator <laughs> or whatever it is, right? 
I've tried harder so many times. The key is to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be the one who comes into your life. Jesus overcame our defiance. He overcame all of our sin because he took it all upon himself. We've been set up by God. We have everything we could possibly need. And today in this moment, you can say yes, or you can say no, thank you. I see myself walking on a sidewalk and there's a little bug. And I tell the bug to move out of my way. And the bug says, who do you think you are? Well, I'm created in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, could you please get out of my way? <laughs> right? And the bug says, no, I'm going in a different direction. Right? How can we defy God? He's so huge. And he loves us so much. I mean, words like this can scare you or they can empower you. Raise your hand if you want to be scared. Raise your hand if you want to be empowered. Yeah. We want the power of God flowing through us today in a wonderful way. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul, I, I love that guy. Can't wait to meet him. He said, one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind, and I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. He wrote to the Galatian church who started out in the spirit, just like everyone here who's accepted Christ, but then they tried in their own strength and he said, why are you trying to establish a better lifestyle without my power? You're reverting back to trying to behave properly. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. To all who have loved his appearing. Christ is coming back. You know, we'll either meet him um, when we pass from this life to the next, or um, we'll see him coming as he promised he would. And in that day, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great to know that you have pressed with all of your might in the direction that God has called you to? Amen. Could we have our musicians come back and um, just play something soft in the background? I, you know, I'd like for all of us today, we, we took a little time and we asked God to bless our offerings. The greatest offering here today is you. God calls us to be a living sacrifice and to offer our hearts to him. You know, we all wrestle with something, and it's really not fun. It's hard. But God wants us to just consider, think about obedience. It's such a harsh word. My granddaughter said, not yet. Oh, God, I trust nobody here this morning is saying not yet for his word says today is the day of salvation 
Today's the day of opportunity. And you may be wrestling and saying, but I, but, but, but. Jonah. But nobody's ever prophesied to those people. God calls us individually to do some pretty strange things. The strangest thing is a people who are obedient. Born with a sin nature and born again by the everlasting Spirit of God Almighty coming and living right here inside and empowering us to do that which is otherwise impossible. Let's just close our eyes for a few moments and meditate on that. Father, we just thank you so much for your word that brings life because you have a plan. We've all read the end of the book. You're the victor. And those who follow you are victorious because they're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. We're forgiven and you live in us. And they love not their lives unto death. Anything truly worth living for is worth dying for. May we experience that in the nuances of obedience every day. Make today an awesome day. Give us a wild, adventurous spirit to step out of the boat in the middle of our storm and walk on that water with you. May we experience obedience to your word and get lit with the fire of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody who wants it said,